Good morning, good afternoon, good night, good whatever it may be for you right now. This is Lose the Taboo on Mental Health with Jared Cash. Buckle up, get ready, we going for a ride. I hope you are having a great day or great morning so far. Welcome to the second episode. We have now doubled our amount of episodes, so you can give yourself a pat on the back for the progress we've made. You can even order yourself a cake if you'd like. Let's just go all out and just treat yourself for the progress we're making today. But I wanted to go ahead and continue on and just share a little bit more of my story with you here today. I'm super eager to get on some guests, some amazing people that really know what they're talking about (laughs) compared to me, who's just fumbling my way through this. And one person I'm really excited has confirmed that that he's going to be on, and that's my doctor that I've been seeing for a while that I really respect. He is an amazing man of the Lord. He knows his stuff. He knows medication. He explains things in a way that really anyone can understand what's what's going on in the brain. And so look forward to having him on in the coming weeks as we get to just have a little chat about mental illness. But today, before we jump into having guests, I thought, you know, it probably would be beneficial for me to at least share a little bit more of my story. Not my whole story, because that would take forever. But just enough, especially of the past year, year and a half, so that as we walk through this, you'll know a little bit more of my story. Of course, you know your story. You'll know where we're both at as we take steps forward with really providing the best mental health for ourselves and the people around us. And today I struggle with this episode because I want to be authentic. I want to share, but I also don't want it to come across ever that I'm sharing for pity or sharing in a sense of woe is me. I've got this going on. I want people to pat me on the back. I mean, encouragement's great, but I hope that that's not how it comes across today or in any episodes. I have just felt a strong urge. I have felt this call from God to share, to start the conversation, to allow us to take some steps forward. And, and it takes having these kind of conversations and opening up so that we all can feel and realize, you know what, I'm not alone and I don't need to be embarrassed about my mental illness or the battle that I fight because that's the reality and and that's where I was for a long time. I, I've been pretty open in the recent years about sharing the different struggles I have with anxiety or depression, but for a long time, it just felt like I couldn't share, especially as a guy. I can't say from a female perspective, but from a a, a guy's perspective, at least, it just felt, I felt ashamed, like I was weak, like I wasn't strong enough to push through and that I was feeling depressed and I just needed to get over it or, or that I was feeling anxious and I just needed to stop worrying. It was almost this, I need to will myself to stop doing it. And so I felt ashamed to, to admit it. And felt embarrassed and it took a long time to realize, you know what, that's not something I have to be embarrassed about. And that's really foolish to, to think I have to feel embarrassed. I wouldn't feel embarrassed if I broke a limb or if I was diagnosed with something because it's not like I did those things to myself. Those things just happened. I mean, I'm not choosing to have mental illness. You're not choosing to have mental illness. Your loved one's not choosing to have mental illness. And so it's not something to feel embarrassed about. And it's definitely not something to feel like you're alone or isolated in. 
So anyways, that's a little bit of why I'm sharing a little bit more of my story. Maybe you can relate to part of it, or maybe you can just better connect with with me as we walk through this journey together. But I want to share specifically more details about just this past year, this past year and a half in my life. For the past decade, at least, I've known about a medical condition that I have called chronic fatigue syndrome, or CFS, for those that love to keep it short. At that point, I just already made it longer, but CFS. And chronic fatigue syndrome is exactly what it sounds like. Constantly tired, constantly fatigued. You wake up in the morning, and you feel like you didn't sleep. It's Your brain doesn't tell you it's time to get up. It doesn't feel like it's turning on yet. It's still in the mode of sleep. And so you start your day sluggish, and you just kind of continue sluggish. And, and lots of times... The thought of a nap is the only thing that's on your mind throughout the day. And so chronic fatigue syndrome is something that I realize I'm probably going to deal with the rest of my life. So I've been on medication for it for a decade and still learning how to live with it. And it's something that I've got to get better about learning how to live with. But it's something that's there and I know plays a big role with my mental illnesses, specifically being depression and anxiety. Depression is the big one that I know has been a part of my life for, like I said, about a decade uh, that I really knew was affecting me and really knew that it was something that uh, was going to cause a lot of pain in my life if I didn't get a hold of it, didn't figure it out, uh, is a better way of saying it. But the anxiety piece of it, I know was always there. I've been an anxious person my whole life, but it really wasn't until the past couple of years that I realized what kind of role anxiety had in my life, how big of a deal that was. And and I see the pattern of the more responsibility I had in my life, the more anxiety I had and the harder time I had really learning to live with my anxiety. So when I was in college and I was just working a job and I was just going to school, it was easy to to maintain my depression and my anxiety, I felt like, because it was still tough. I still had low days, but I could go and take care of myself however I needed to and however I wanted to, almost any time. Other than the little bit of responsibility with working a part-time job and going to school, I could go and I could take a nap if I needed to. I could go and just walk around for hours just outside. I could do whatever I needed to to feel like I was rested, to feel like I could just mentally prop my feet up. Whatever I needed to do, I felt like I was able to, to manage it better. And then responsibility came. I started working a full-time job and got married. And then a little bit later, our firstborn, Juliet, came into the world. And so there's a responsibility of how to be a first-time parent and just trying to make sure that your child survives (laughs) and has basic needs. Uh, And then it continued on. We ended up feeling God calling us to move and to start a church, which was a whole nother set of responsibility in a lot of different areas I wasn't even aware of. And then really the point that I know that my anxiety got to a high, the highest level is when Adeline, our second child, was born. And I know it sounds like I just put the blame on on her. I am not blaming you. Adeline, if you ever hear this, you are the most precious gift from God. You have nothing to do with it. It was all daddy. But that was the time of my life just a little over a year ago when I really saw the, the toll anxiety was taking on me. Still working as a church planner, we were two or three years into to the church. Adeline was born. We now had two children, 
And I found that my ability to manage my mental health just went out the window. It felt like I, I hadn't adjusted. I hadn't figured out how to actually live with it at that point. We would go and we would work. We would go to church. We would do activities. We would do everything we needed to do. And then we would come home and instead of being able to take care of my mental health, I would end up just continuing to be a parent, continuing to be a husband, continuing to do housework or yard work. And it were all things, those are all things that are such big joys in my life, not the yard work, but being with my family. But I never had what I needed to be able to to allow my anxiety to go down a notch. For me, I'm a very extroverted person to a certain extent of time. And I'm also a very introverted person for a certain extent of time. It's kind of but it's kind of two extremes. I love to be around people. And if I'm not around people for a certain amount of times, it really takes a toll on me. But if I'm also never getting time to myself to where I'm able to rest, especially with chronic fatigue syndrome, then I notice that it really, really takes a toll on me. And so I was finding that I was having all the extroverted time, but none of the introverted time. I was never having time to just be able to decompress. And it really started to add up and it got bigger and bigger. And like I mentioned last episode, right about a year ago or a little over a year ago is when I had a panic attack. And that was the first time I'd ever experienced that. And it was at that point that it was like, whoa, anxiety is a big part of my life. And I I don't have control over it like I thought. And it's something that I've really got to give more attention to. And part of it was, of course, the responsibility I had at home, the different things that were going on in my life. But then also, I think part of it was my job. And just the way that I was handling things with being a pastor. And I hope that this part of the the episode is able to give you a little insight on pastoring if you never pastored, Uh, especially for, for those that are your pastor, for you to be able to have a little bit better understanding of maybe what they're seeing or going through and how you can help encourage, how you can help assist at different times. But pastoring is a very difficult thing. It's such a unique thing. I had worked in churches at different positions, but I'd never been a lead senior pastor. And I had no idea. I thought I understood beforehand, but I had no idea what it was like to be a pastor. No matter if your church is 35 people or 10,000 people, pastors, from what, I, from what I've experienced and from just what I've seen and, and from what I've heard from other pastors, there's such a weight that comes with pastoring that it's just hard to explain at times. Of course, there's the weight of leading an organization, but it's also this unique weight, this burden of being the spiritual leader. You want to do your very best because you realize this is not just me clocking in. This is not just me uh, getting a paycheck. This is me investing in people that could affect their eternity. If the church, the body of Christ does what it's supposed to do, it could help bring someone from a life away from, from God and hell, and it could bring them to an eternity with the creator of the universe. And the way that that I shepherd this group that God has put under my care can either help them really understand and fall in love with the word of God or we can, I can even steer them away. And that's a really scary thing because scripture talks about teachers and leaders that that steer away from the gospel and then the dangers that come with that and the the punishment that comes with that. And so there's a lot of there's a there's a heavy weight 
and you also just, you want to be so much for so many people that you just can't be. And this is what I struggled with. And this is what so many other pastors struggle with. And it's nothing that was done at my church intentionally at all. It was just the way I think that the model is made and the way that church function, especially in the United States, I'm sure it's like that in other countries, but the way that we have church going on right now, I've started to see that it doesn't line up perfectly with the church that we see in the New Testament in Acts. The early church functioned differently than a lot of our churches do today. We see that in the early church, the New Testament, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the, the, the church was put into place, we see that the work, the, the gospel spreading, the preaching of the work, the feeding the poor, everything was equally shared by the body of Christ, by the church. But we look over to today in 2020, and, and in many of our churches, we see that it's a different structure. For some reason, it's come to where it's the body of Christ And instead of going straight to the head, which is Jesus, there's someone put in right in the middle, and that's the pastor. And somehow our structure is it's the body of Christ up to the staff pastor and then to Jesus, the head. And it's almost functioning in what we see as the Old Testament. The Old Testament, there was a priest who was the middleman in a sense uh, because there wasn't a personal relationship with Jesus. At that point, people didn't have the Holy Spirit residing inside of them, and so the people of God had to go to this priest and make sacrifices, and they had to go through the priest at that point to be able to communicate and to be able to share what they needed to with God, to share their heart, to to hear from God. It was all done through the priest. But all of that changed whenever Jesus came, lived his life, died on the cross for our sins, and was raised from the dead. When he put the church in place after that, and when when the apostles began to work the church uh, into different cities, and it started to spread to what we know as today, it was never supposed to function in the way of the priest. supposed to be the body of Christ with the head of Jesus. And that's where I think a lot of our struggles come in with many different aspects. But of course, the potential is not reached at all of what we could be doing for our cities, what we could be doing for the kingdom and and how it trickle effects beyond just our city, beyond our state, but even further. But then I think it's taking a huge toll on our staff, on our pastors. And, And I know that for me, I felt that, and I'm the one that started the church. So it's a lot of it is on my shoulders of, of how we set things up. But I found that somehow I was involved in every single part of the church. Not that I was physically involved, but there was always the thought, uh, intentionally or not, that if we're doing something for the church, Jared has to be a part of it. Our staff have to be a part of it, at least be kept in the loop with every single detail of it, uh, as if the church couldn't do what we needed to do if the pastor wasn't involved in it. And here again, it's a great thing to have the pastor involved and you want to keep the pastor in the loop. But it came to the point where I think the structure was off to where it was viewed that the staff and the pastor have a bigger role in the body of Christ than every single other person. And that's where we can really get into danger, where the pastors can be elevated to more than just a human who loves the Lord, who's flawed 
and who who's been called to lead that church. But it doesn't make them any more important than someone who's serving in any other part of the church. And for me, I looked at it and, and I saw, man, I feel such a weight, whether it's just me putting that on me or other things, but I felt such a weight to be so much to so many different people. I felt like I, I needed to be the greatest communicator that I could possibly be so that I could help usher people into the presence of God so they would get excited about the word, so they would understand something that would click for them, that would change their life and the way that they affect with uh, they affect and interact with their neighbors. I wanted to be the greatest marketing guru there was, which I'm far from, but to be able to reach our community better, to be able to get them into a community of believers. I wanted to be able to be super personal and get to know as many people on a personal level as I could. I wanted to be great at planning events that would, again, engage the community I wanted to be great at raising up leaders. I wanted to be so much for so many people that it was taxing. It really took a toll on me. And it got to the place where I didn't know how to create boundaries. In the way that I'm wired, I really have to have structure in my life. And that's that's a part that's really difficult is as a pastor, you want to be friends and to be close with everyone in your church, but you just can't. And, and many times everyone in the church wants to be friends with the pastor. And it's really difficult because the pastor could want to be friends with everyone, but that's not good for them. That's not good for their family. That's not even possible, no matter the size of your church. And that's what took place. I wasn't able to be at every single event that I wanted to, especially in the stage of life that I was with little ones. I wasn't able to be at every activity. I wasn't able to be at every single small group. I wasn't able to be friends on the level that that someone wanted me to within the church. I wasn't able to text back every text or call every call. And I found myself feeling guilty for it, feeling shame, like I wasn't enough, like I wasn't doing a good enough job, that I needed to just structure my time different so that I could do more. And it just kept taking a toll, kept stacking up. And a lot of that may just be my makeup, may just be the way that I look at things and the, the way that I work. But it took a toll on me. And I think that it's probably taking a toll on a lot of other pastors as well. There's probably a lot of expectations on them that are unfair. There's probably a lot of things that they wish they could do and wish that they could be, and they just can't. And it's okay. They don't have to be everything to everyone. They just need to be someone that loves the Lord, that's leading that church closer to the Lord, and and loving as many people as they can, as they humanly possible, but there is a limit. So for me, I found myself beginning with the addition of having more kids and the addition of more responsibility and the addition of pastoring and our church getting a little bit bigger. And then I found myself really beginning to hit a wall whenever COVID happened. When the pandemic took place, that's when it really started to fall apart for me. And I know that the pandemic was difficult for everyone. It was such an adjustment. No one planned for that. Everyone had to scramble. There was concerns. There was worries of even being scared to death. Am I going to die from this? And so there's all these different worries and concerns and people are having to learn how to adjust to new work, to having to do remote learning, all kinds of different things. So it was such an adjustment for everyone. That's when it really started 
to, to be difficult to pastor because not only are many pastors dealing with mental illness, it's hard to pastor without mental illness, I would believe, but with mental illness, it becomes so difficult. And then you throw in COVID and you have so much uncertainty and, and I felt like I had to be an expert on it. So I was researching all the time. I was losing sleep. I was trying to learn as much as I could about it because I never wanted to put anyone in our church in a position where they could become sick, you know, and I didn't want to push us to meet and for us to, to have a, a spread happen in our church. I also didn't want to hold us back if there wasn't as big of a concern as what some was saying were saying. And so it was this difficult thing where you had experts saying one thing, you had experts saying something different, and you wanted to make as wise of decisions as you could. And on top of that, you just have a lot of your church coming because you're one of the people they trust and they want to know your thoughts on it. They want some guidance on just how to handle things even within their own family. And it got really difficult whenever it came down to decision-making within COVID. Because no matter what decision I felt like I made, I knew that people were not going to be happy. I knew that if I decided to meet or not meet, there would be a group that was really content and there'd be a group that was really upset. If, if it came to mask or not wearing mask, then there would be the same exact thing. And, and at one point it became very political where it was thought one party thinks one way, one party thinks the other way. Whatever you decide as a person within your own family, whatever you decide as a church it is a, basically you're picking the party that you stand with. And it became so political when it didn't need to be in that, in that sense, but it did. And so that added an extra weight. And that's when I really started to see myself having way more lows and not coming up with my depression and my anxiety at just an all-time high. I got to the place where I felt like my brain never shut off. I was constantly thinking about stuff with, with COVID or work. Uh, I was having a hard time even focusing in with the family. I wasn't sleeping well at night, and it just got to a place that I went above the line. My bandwidth ran out and I hit a wall. And what was so difficult about dealing with this mental illness was no one knew the extent except my family of, of what it really was. I would go and preach on Sunday and I would come home and I would feel so defeated, even if it was a great day. And I would feel so low immediately and so drained and not just physically drained, but just drained emotionally and mentally. And then Monday would come and I would find myself feeling more depressed than ever. And some, some days I would just sit in the bathroom and just cry. And I just couldn't understand why. I didn't know the emotions I was, I was feeling. I didn't understand anything. And I just wanted some answers. And this continued and this continued. And I just kept trying to push through because I wanted to be more for me, for my family, for my church, for my friends, just for the people around me. But I finally knew that I couldn't continue on when something took place. I realized that I had to change something whenever I continued to deal with anxiety and depression to a level that my four-year-old started to notice. Four-year-olds can they can see everything it seems like. Like they you can't get anything past them and there came a point when I started to notice her being affected by my mental illness. I started to see her beginning to be more anxious. I began to see her feeling like she had to be a part of my happiness to help me feel better 
our things weren't going to be good in our family. And there was there was this one time that she went over and stayed with my parents to give a little break over here. And she got over there and she mentioned that she should go back to our house to ride her bike because that would make daddy happy. And it was this sense of it just broke my heart because she felt like she was responsible to try to help lift daddy up because he was having so many lows. And I tried my best. I thought I hid it from her, but I wasn't able to. It got into that place. And I knew at that point, I've got to take care of myself. I need to go ahead and step down from this position and I need to change things in my life. I need to scale back. I need to start saying no and even not using my phone as much. I need to scale back and I need to get to a place where I'm healthy, which I had to figure out what does healthy even look like for me, but I had to be healthy for me and for my family. And that's what I had to do. And so for the time being, I knew God... I need you to heal me. I need you to to start to show me what life looks like in a way that is going to be sustainable for me. And I'll tell you what, God has been speaking to me in some really big ways. I don't want this just to be a, a completely down episode. There's a lot of great things that have already taken place. And I want to go ahead and mention, I am not on the other side of this. It'd be so much easier. I wish that I could say, man, I figured this out. I'm on the other side. I can't believe I used to deal with that. But here I am now much better. And that's not where I'm at. I'm broken right now. I'm in the middle of it. I don't know the answers. And I can say that I'm more optimistic than I was a month ago. I'm having a little bit less lows than I was. I'm feeling a little bit less anxious, but it's still something that I'm dealing with. It's still something that daily I've got to figure out is my mindset. And so here I am, and God is speaking to me in so many ways. I feel like God, and I want to share a few things that God has been telling me since really the past three weeks. And what God has been telling me in the past three weeks after I got over the initial stepping away and over the couple weeks of just trying to figure out this new stage of life, but then God's been telling me, the first thing that I feel like God has been telling me as I've been getting to his word is he's been telling me that I'm his child. And it's like before he started telling me what's next for me or anything else, he wanted to remind me the creator of the universe, the one who made everything, wanted to take one of his children, one of those who have accepted his gift of salvation and wanted to just say, before anything else, I want you to know you are my child. And because of that, you are so loved. There's nothing that you could do or not do that would change that. You are loved. You were created in my image. I made you exactly how I wanted to make you. And that was something that he reminded me of. And it's been refreshing to just have that playing in my head. I am a child of God. And the second thing was what I just mentioned of I am loved by God. For you, you have to get to a place to help remind yourself in any way that you can, no matter what's going on around you, whatever's going on in your head, to just remind you that you are created in the image of God and that you are loved by God. More than anything else, that is the most powerful thing that you could think about. The one who made it all, the one who spoke this universe into existence loves me, loves me enough to send his son to die in my place. He's going to help give me the strength that I need. And I know that my eternity is changed the moment that I trust in him. God told me that I'm his child. God told me that I'm loved by him. And then lastly, I felt like he's been reminding me that I can still be used by him. I can still make a difference 
and my family and the people around me, even in my brokenness. In the midst of what I'm going through, God can still speak, sometimes even in a more powerful way, through me. And it's not that I know the answers. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to to take a step forward with mental health. But I do know that God has given me a story that I can share. And he's saying, use your voice. Use every part of you and share what I'm doing. Share the need to really take steps forward with providing for mental health. And I can still make a difference for the kingdom. And the same applies to you. You still can be something that makes a difference for God, something that makes a difference for your family or your friends or your coworkers or your neighbors, even in your brokenness right now. You don't have to wait till you've got it all figured out because we don't know when that's going to be. We can start being used by God even in our brokenness right here. And so I have to really remind myself on a regular basis that I can't rely on my own power. I have the tendency to try to do that, to try to will myself to be something. And that's what got me in the place that I was last time, trying to will myself, trying to use a little bit of talent that maybe God's given me and to try to try to be something that's I can't be on my own, in my own power, in my own strength. And God's been reminding me, you've got to come to me. And I'm always reminded of the verse, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. God wants to provide rest for your soul. He wants to give you the strength to help carry your burden, to help set the direction, to help set the pace, to help walk along in this journey of life with you. And we have to to go to him daily. And so for me, that's what I'm choosing to do. I'm choosing to get up and no matter how I feel in that moment, no matter what kind of day it seems like it's going to be, I'm choosing to say, I'm a child of God, I'm loved by God, and I know that I can go and take my burdens and my, my weariness to Him, and He will help me carry that burden. So that is what I'm doing. I hope that you will choose to do that here today. And I hope that today was a little more insight on just what I've been walking through, a little bit more insight on maybe what your pastors are going through and, and how you can help assist them, how you can help take some of the load off. And it's also just something for us today to remember that we have others that are with us that that help us know that we're not alone. And I've had some of you already share your story with me or just way that ways that God's working or maybe things that are really difficult in your life right now. And it's been so great to be able to connect in that way. And so I encourage you to continue to do that. I want to make that a part of our episodes if we are able to in some way. I'm still trying to figure out how can we make some of those stories a part of our episode. So if you have ideas, be creative. Let me know because I want to make this as much of a community as I can. But know today that I'm thinking of you. Know today that that we are not alone, that you shouldn't be embarrassed by it, and that better days are coming as we walk through this together. I'll talk to you soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe and share with others so that they can join us on this journey. I'll see you next time.